back after World War II, there was a film called God is My Co-Pilot. God is My Co-Pilot. Now let that sink in for a minute. It became a bumper sticker. I think the I think that the context of the original film was that here's someone who is faithfully going into a dangerous situation requiring courage and feeling the presence of God with him. But when you take it out of that context, it doesn't sound very good, does it? God is my co-pilot. Well, you can imagine what happened next. The, the bumper sticker that answers, right? So the bumper sticker that, that answered in the bumper sticker war of that, of that day was, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats, right? So that's what we're talking about this morning, that you know, we don't need help. We need new life. We don't need to be improved. We need to be changed. And so redemption, the idea that, that God saves us, that's the heart of the word, but, but what, what makes that redemption happen is a magnificent exchange of life for life. From the word of God, Luke 17, would you open your Bibles? Luke 17, starting with verse 11. You know the story that's coming from the earlier mention of it. Uh, and uh, I encourage you to follow along. There's a, an outline in your bulletin that will help you trace your way through the message. Hear God's word this morning. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and that is Jesus, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks that we can count on your spirit to bring this word into our lives, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. The series is called Head to Toe, and it's about moving from just being informed to being formed. Not just information about God, but formation in God. And so this morning we're talking about redemption, the idea that you're saved, that being saved is a life-for-life life exchange. So let's take a look at how we're saved from the old self to the new self. How we're saved from from the self that is corrupted from the beginning of our life and throughout, corrupted, saved from that life to the gift of new life in Christ. Let's take a look at how that happens. 
How does that happen? We're, we're going to look at where it starts, this exchange starts, what happens next, and then how it ends. All right, so let's take a look at this exchange. Life for life, redemption. First, it starts by exchanging our worst for his best. Now, that's the worst that we feel, right? Uh, obviously, we're, we're motivated by the way we feel, but, but those feelings tap into something that's real within us. And we feel the need, right? We feel our worst. We know our sin. We know the, the things that happen to us from the world and the things we do to ourselves. And that's often where God starts, is that you feel this sense of need at your worst. And you feel conviction, and you're ready to, to hand that over. And, and it, this really reminds me, it, in... In the 70s and 80s, there was a big push to recycle bottles, right? You remember that, that you could redeem a bottle. So the word redeem is, is in this image of, of ch- taking your old Coke bottles and, um, and exchanging those. And, I, you know, I used to go out on my bike with my friends, and we'd find bottles all over the place. And a lot of times they were just caked in mud and that kind of thing, but they were still valuable, right? They had, the world had done something to them, to those bottles, And they were caked in mud, but they're still valuable. They're still just as valuable. They could be traded in. Now, imagine just going and collecting a bunch of those bottles out of the the ditches, you know, and, and, and the highways and byways, and just washing those all up, and then never trading them in, right? Well, this is this is often what 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 happens here is that the first step is is to exchange the worst, the worst that we feel. For his best. There, 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 there are 10 lepers, and leprosy is also called Hansen's disease. It's a, it's a disease that comes from a bacteria that affects your skin, and then it gets into your nerves, and you can't feel, and you, you literally beat your body to death, and because you can't, uh, there was a story about a, a, a guy who couldn't turn a key in a lock, and, and a kid who had leprosy came up, and he was able to muscle it because he didn't even feel the pain of the of the key getting into his in, in, driving into his skin. It's awful, awful disease. I mean, you have to have a sense of just how horrible this disease is. They were put at a distance. They were they were blocked out of the temple. They were they they, they had to 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 call out to people because they they thought it was highly contagious. So so they would have to call out, unclean, unclean. COVID, COVID, right? I mean, it's like. They've got it, and they've got to make sure everybody knows, right? We feel that. Well, verse 14, it says, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. And one turns back. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but we're going to see the distinction. But, but first step is that 10 of them were cleansed. They were cleansed. They exchanged what they felt was their worst for God's best. Now, Let's liken this to something in everyday life here. There are practical benefits of exchanging our worst for his best. There are practical benefits. I'm going to give you three examples. Think of the counselor. The counselor who's just effective in his role, her role, to help people identify what wound what unfinished business is keeping them from getting on with life and growing and prospering in their relationships? Because they were healed from something that happened to them. That mud has been washed off. 
and they've, they've turned it into something good. That's redemption, you see? On a level, practical level, redemption, an exchange of life for life. Think of the, the girl who, uh, the, the teenage girl who pushed the boundaries and made some mistakes and feels terrible about it, terribly guilty, and, and somehow is able to move past that and forgive herself and, and then leads younger women to make better choices. That's redemption of life for life. You see? Think of the, the divorcee, the man or woman who, who was wronged by their spouse, but recognized painfully so that they also, not to excuse what the other person did, but, but, but recognizes that there was something in them that was preventing them from connecting on an intimate level. And then even out of the, the, that horrible experience, is able to find some sense of healing, to be able to move on, and all their relationships begin to become right. I've seen this happen. You've seen this happen. So on a practical level, the 10 are exchanging their worst for God's best. There is an exchange of life for life. They're doing things differently. Things have been done to them, and they've done things to themselves that they need to move past. And, and just in, in lining up again, with God's principles, in lining up again and calling Jesus master, as they call him, in lining up again and, and reaching out to God to bring order to their life again, there are benefits. So why does the one turn back? Well, that's what happens next. See, when you and I are redeemed, the first is we exchange worst for best. The worst that we feel, the worst that that, that we're convicted of, the, the thing that, that just pricks us when initially we begin to see our need. So why does the one turn back? Well, that's what happens next because the one who turns back recognizes that he needs to exchange his best, not just his worst, but his best for God's best. And that means that he recognizes that even his best is corrupt. Even his very best is corrupt. Now, where do we see this in the text? Number 15, verse 15. Let's go back and look at it again. One of them, when he turned back, saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God, fell at his feet. Now he was a Samaritan, verse 16 says. He was a Samaritan. Well, so what? Well, this is the pivotal moment of the passage. He was a Samaritan. Who were the Samaritans? Samaritans were Jews, but they were only half Jew. They were only part Jew. They represented that history where God is trying to say, look, I'm calling a people to myself, and I don't want you to intermarry, and I don't want you to, I want to create a holy nation that will represent my, my will and my works to the rest of the world, and I want to, I want to have you bounded for a, a period of time in a covenant where you can grow and integrate my law into your life, and then you can begin to share it. And so there was this period of time in Israel's history where they were not to intermarry, but the Samaritans represented those who did, who went outside of those boundaries, temporary boundaries, a temporary old covenant, but they went outside of those boundaries, and they were, this, this is bold racism. In fact, it's a horrible uh, view that they had of, of uh, Samaritans. They, they considered them to be Half-breeds, they consider them to be less than, less than. In fact, Samaritans could only go to the outer court of the temple 
They weren't allowed all the way into the inner court. So imagine you're that Samaritan. You're that one of the ten, and he's walking, and he knows he's been cleansed, and he's on his way to see the priest. Why is he on his way to see the priest? Because the priest is the one that can declare you clean. They can't do anything for you except declare you clean and, and allow you to resume your normal lifestyle again. But the Samaritan would still be locked out of the Holy of Holies. Think about this happened, but this story is also a parable. There's a reason that Luke chose to tell this story as opposed to a whole bunch of other ones. Instead of continuing to the priest, he goes back to Jesus. I want you to think about that because I want you to anticipate why. He knows he needs more. Now, let me illustrate it, and then we'll, we'll bring it back to the text, but let me illustrate what I'm talking about. By the Samaritan recognizing even his best was corrupt. Even his best, so he needed to exchange best for best. Now, just imagine you walk into the kitchen, and you see somebody at the, 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 um, the sink, kitchen sink, doing dishes, and they're very animated about it, right? And you're wondering, what is all this body language about? I mean, what, you know, what does this mean? Now, imagine that you could see a thought bubble, or let's just talk about three different thought bubbles that they have over their head. And you can know what they're thinking while they're doing these dishes, Right? And so maybe the first one says, you know, the thought bubble says this. It says, I sure hope I get credit for this. Maybe someone will stay off my back or someone's will stay off my back if I can, you know, I'll do something. I mean, I sure hope I get some credit for the work I'm putting in here. I'm doing this work. The second thought bubble, wipe that thought bubble away now. The second thought bubble is this. Everybody's got to take a turn. You know, it's Eeyore. Everybody's got to take a turn. It's my duty, right? We all got to do it. Now, there's some, there's some benefit to that. There's some benefit to the restraints of our appetites, right? I want to go do something else. I want to go play golf. I want to go ride a bike. I want to go do something. But I need to do that. There's some benefits to this. There's common grace around the world, and there's relative order to the chaos that could be there because of restraint. But this doesn't get to the heart of why you're doing the dishes, of being somebody who can just do the dishes for, out of some other reason. Here's a third thought bubble. Third thought bubble is, I feel really guilty about the things I've done and left undone, so I'm going to do the dishes because maybe it'll make me feel better. You see, in each instance, there's not freedom from the old self. In each instance, something good is being done. Someone's offering their best, but even their best is corrupt. They're not free from self. In each instance, what is motivating them is self. Self-serving, not really serving their family or serving someone else. The Samaritan represents the recognition to turn back and say, if Jesus can do this to the outside, what can he do to the inside? The Samaritan turns back because, yeah, he was grateful, but there was more than that. He knew that someone who could do that Someone who, whose reputation preceded him, that's why they were gathered there, they were waiting for him, they called out to him, they all agreed who Jesus was. He discovered that this was not just a miracle person, a miracle worker, but he recognized who Jesus was. And he went back, he went back. And it was the very...
that allowed him to offer his pilot seat to who was, had up to that point been just a co-pilot in his life. It was the very recognition of his need and the very faith that places his faith now under new management, if you will, to swap seats and then to be saved from that corrupting part of self that you can stand at that kitchen sink or wherever in your life you're serving someone or doing something or going for it or trying to take the next hill and know that you're doing it to give, that you're doing it out of a place that's not just serving yourself. What, what freedom is being offered to us to be able to say, ah, this is a, such a great place to live as opposed to the place of duty, the place of earning, or the place of guilt. Life exchanged for life. So that's what happens next. Best for best, because even our best is corrupt through and through. And then finally, how does it end? How does it end? It ends by us with this confidence that we just talked about, taking it into the rest of your life yourself. You take it there. It's called sanctification. It's called setting apart more of your life under the order of God. And that God graciously allows us to participate in what he's building, in this new life he's building in you. We begin to exchange our all for his all. Verse 19, it says, you, your faith has saved you. It's important. We've got words here. All we have is words. And we've got to recognize that this story is bringing us to this culminating point here. Your faith has saved, past tense, saved you. It's a done deal. Done. You got it. That's the confidence that drives us into the rest of life that is still in need of being saved. Not that your salvation is in question, but that their old habits, their old thought patterns, their old behaviors, they're old priorities that need to be reordered. You see? You see? Now, let me read to you a, a, a quote that just knocked me back by St. John of the Cross. Listen to this imagery of what it takes, what it looks like, to take what that confidence of past tense saved into the rest of your life. He says this, faith as it ripens, turns into an almost insatiable appetite and the lion must prowl in places it once feared. You see what he's saying? Faith gives you a new desire to escort the lion of Judah into places you never wanted him to see, never wanted him to go. Here is what the Samaritan is doing, coming back and saying, how about the rest of me? I, you, you've, you've gotten the worst, so <laughs> I'm gonna give you my best. And to discover then that actually your best is thoroughly corrupt. Here's what... Here's what it says in Mere Christianity about this. It says this, Imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. 
He's getting the drains right. He's stopping leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building a quite different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come live in it himself. See? The Samaritan punctuates the point of the, of the great need that we have and the equal grace that he provides. Life for life, magnificent exchange, worst for best, best for best, all for all. 